hello everyone and welcome to Hedge Fund Tips with Tom Hayes, video cast number 26, podcast number 16. And this is for the week ending April 17th, 2020. And what an exciting, uh, busy week it's been. So we're going to kick it off and thank some people for having me on this week and go through a little bit about what we covered and then get right down to the meat. So uh, first off this afternoon, I was on Yahoo Finance with Shauna Smith. I want to thank her for having me on as well as Sarah Smith, the producer. And this was a phenomenal uh, interview. I want to thank them because the questions were terrific. Uh, We discussed the Bank of America uh, Global Fund Manager Survey and positioning. And she asked me an interesting question about market breadth and uh, cyclicals versus defensive. So you definitely want to go ahead and check that out if you have some time. You can click right here or actually just go to the Yahoo website directly and you can find all of these under this featured on button at hedgefundtips.com. This will be the most recent because this was just at two o'clock today, but this was a very good interview talking about the stimulus, getting into a lot of detail about the China recovery, et cetera. So thank you to Shauna and Sarah for having me on today. Want to thank um, Mike Walter at CGTN for having me on Tuesday night. And that was predominantly, that's um, CGTN America. Uh, It's predominantly focused on the China recovery. And this was also very detailed, different subject matter entirely. And we're going to go through a bunch of that in this week's uh, article when we cover that. But just talking about us being two months behind China, they had peak cases on February 5th. We had peak cases this week and how their economy is recovering uh, and how it's not. Okay, today we got uh, negative 6.8% GDP relative to expectations of negative 6%. But keep in mind, their worst part was in Q1, whereas our worst part is now, you know, Q1 to Q2 overlap. And they're projecting for us, you know, anywhere between negative 10 to negative 30. I even saw negative 38% GDP in Q2. So if China is any tell, that number may be extreme and uh, maybe closer to high single digits, low double digits versus 20 and 30 type of percent. But the most important thing uh, that we're going to cover that I covered with Mike, and you may want to check it out because I went into a lot more detail than we'll be able to today. Again, under features on, check check the uh, interview with Mike Walter. Thanks for having me on. And Zaina Al-Shaib for putting me on, the producer. So I uh, appreciate that. Then uh, Larry Menti and uh, you... Definitely recognize his face. He's hosted some very popular shows over the years. He invited me on to NNJN, Jersey Matters, his show that he's running now. And uh, what a great interviewer. This was actually a a lot of fun uh, as well. And more a generalized audience. So kind of he's like, what's going to happen next? What what should I do, etc.? Check that out. A really fun interview and good time. Thanks for uh, Larry for putting me on his show. And finally, Stone Grissom uh, on News 12. Uh, this was a shorter interview, again, a general audience, but um, Stone asked the magic question, which was uh, I was talking about the stimulus, you know, $8 trillion plus, et cetera. Two plus four plus two, which we'll go into today. And he has the magic zinger at the end. Where are we going to get the money from? And you can see how I answered that. So again, check it out under Featured On. Great questioning by Stone Grissom. Uh, happy to have been on that. 
want to thank uh, Rodrigo Campos for including me in his article in, on Reuters. Actually, last week, I didn't get to acknowledge him and thank him uh, last week. So um, thank to Rodrigo and Meta Singh and Sanjana Shivdas are, uh, did the interview for that. And uh, so there we go. Uh, one of the things I want to cover, I, I was prepared to talk about on Yahoo today, but uh, the focus, they had a, a bunch of doctors on the show, so the focus shifted to uh, the economy and uh, really enjoyed that interview with Shauna. But I, I do want to go into some of the things that I was prepared to talk about, namely um, the Gilead remdesivir results from last night that, that uh, played a role in today's uh, rally. Two things play, played a big role in today's rally. Number one was the uh, uh, Gilead remdesivir results, which we're going to cover, and two was the phase three reopening plan that was announced also last night after the close. So let's just take a quick look at uh, New York State net, cha net change in intubations um, as of April 16th. So we can see, obviously, we're well past the peak in the epicenter. You know, New York City is, is like, in the U.S. is similar to Wuhan was in China with just tremendous um, concentration because of the dense population. And obviously, we have the international airports. I mean, the hotspots around the country are going to be around international airports that uh, brought it in from travel, etc., so this was a good number to see today uh, at Governor Cuomo's conference. Uh, and then the new cases are, um, you know, about 2,000 a day. So it's interesting. You have people coming in. So certainly we're well past the apex, no question about it. But so people are going in. However, if you're getting... A lot of people going in and very few people going on uh, intubation, the ventilator machines. It's interesting. So between March 17th and April 17th, you know, there are a lot of antivirals in the works. And we're going to focus on Gilead's because that's going to be probably, the we'll see, but probably the first one to be approved for the specific use of COVID-19. We will see. There, that's not guaranteed. Uh, but... If you remember, April 2nd was when they started using an antiviral uh, test, uh, hydroxychloroquine, which, you know, has been controversial. It's, it's been a political football, but let, let's just leave that aside and let's deal with the facts uh, that as we know them or the anecdotes, rather, as we know them. Uh, Governor Cuomo said yesterday in his conference, which wasn't covered, but if you watched it, you saw it. And he said, well, you know, maybe maybe hydroxychloroquine actually does work. And they got the 10,000 dosage because he asked President Trump to send them, to try them on April 2nd. So if you look at the new people going into the hospital, you know, it's come down, but this sucker is still contagious. Uh, so you still had a lot of people going into the hospital, even up until yesterday. But a collapse of people going on the ventilators. And that coincides with April 2nd. Now... I know they're using a number of drugs, uh, you know, and we can't know for sure what he said around here. It was about a week ago because I couldn't understand when they put the hydroxychloroquine into the hospital April 2nd. I thought by April 8th we were going to have results because it takes six days to get results from all the anecdotal stuff that's out there. 
Now, again, I, I don't want to go into this. Again, it's a football, but, you know, if you have a uh, heart condition, you can't take it uh, because, uh, you know, 10% of the population can't take it. It can be dangerous with heart rhythm and, and arrhythmia and all that stuff. But for the 90%, um, uh, and then there's also a group of people, LA Times said, if you're taking antidepressives, which is 13% of the population. So figure 15% of the population can't even try it. So it doesn't, doesn't help in that regard. But 85% of the population that wants to, can do it for compassionate care. So the numbers don't lie. We'll see because somewhere around here he said, well, April 20th, we'll know if hydroxychloroquine works. Yesterday he said, maybe it does work. I mean, you know, that's obviously not a helpful data point, but it's another anecdote. We will see. Let's see if he follows through on his promise to give us some raw facts by um, Monday. Uh, you know, that's uh, April 20th. But either way, whatever the heck they're doing, I don't care if they're giving them peanut butter and jelly, something changed here that has dramatically reduced the percentage of people that have to go on ventilators after they, after they enter the hospital. So that is a big deal. Um, and I don't care what it is. If, if they're giving them peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and it's working, so be it. If they're giving them placebo pills and tell them it's a miracle thing and, and it's helping people, terrific, it's working. But now let's talk about some science. Um, so the Gilead study that came out yesterday for remdesivir, full disclosure, we've owned remdesivir for a number of months, not on the, the basis of, um, of um, uh, coronavirus. We owned it because it was cheap. They had a ton of cash and they had a lot of optionality doing a lot of these uh, startup type uh, tuck-in deals and, and interesting things. The coronavirus may, may turn out to be a bonus, we, we will see, but uh, obviously the stock went up today a lot, which, you know, we'll take it. So, okay, 125 people were in this survey, uh, were in this study, okay, that we got some, some information on yesterday. Almost all of the people in the study, I think it was like 123, were released from the hospital these were all, uh, the majority were severe cases. There's two parts to this study. Their goal was to have 4,000 people. You know, I think it was about a third of mild people and a third of, uh, two-thirds of severe people. This 125 sample was severe people and um, almost every single one of them was released within a week, which is very important because they thought that the medication would take 10 days to work. And the other aspect that worked faster than expected was because these are severe people, they're on ventilators. And what they noticed was that people were getting off ventilators within one day, if you can imagine that. that that's shocking. I mean, that if, if this data bears out, it's almost miraculous. I'm gonna tell you why some analysts are skeptical just to offset the rainbows and unicorns here. I, I do have a five and seven year old uh, daughter, so I understand rainbows and unicorns and, and actually mermaids very well. Um, the other thing that they said was that the fever curve drops immediately off the ventilator in a day uh, and is taking half the time as expected. So they thought 10, 10 days, uh, it's only taking less than a week, which is going to be very important when it comes to supply, hence the skeptics. Let's let's get down to, to that in a minute. Um, the other positive thing that we're seeing with the remdesivir, the Gilead drug, is that they locked the data yesterday on 400 patients. 
when they lock the data, that's usually a good sign because now we're going to get full clinical results at the end of April. Why does that matter, full clinical results? Because if it comes out positive, um, then they will be able to fast track the FDA, FDA approval with the clinical results, uh, which are not equal to anecdotal. All we have at this point is anecdotal. But with the clinical results, they will be able to fast track FDA approval for COVID-19 use. They can use it now for off-label, and they are. So people are, are getting helped with it right now, but the data behind it will make it w more widespread. This will reduce the strain on the healthcare system, and it will reduce the mortality rate dramatically if it's in line with this anecdote. So we have a lot to look forward to at the end of April. That's, that's good news. Here's what people are skeptical about. Here's the bad news to give a balanced thing. So uh, obviously remdesivir doesn't prevent COVID-19. It's not prophylactic in nature uh, as we know it. So there are other things that are being bandied about as possibilities for prophylaxis. Pro prophylaxis, you can look into those on your own. Nothing is approved. Everything at that stage is anecdotal. Um, but, uh, you know, uh, we'll see. Second is we still need a vaccine. So the skeptics are saying that's fine. It doesn't change anything because no one's going to get on an airplane or go on a cruise ship or go into a movie theater because they uh, say, okay, well, if I wind up in the emergency room, I can take remdesivir. Uh, people aren't going to go see the concert to risk getting people aren't going to risk getting on a ventilator to go to a concert so the skeptics view is until you have a vaccine nothing's changed i think that's really pessimistic i, I think this is really positive but it will know for certain at the end of april um so they still feel we need a vaccine before you get happy that that's fine um also, in this 125 people, none were moderate. So we don't know, like, if you get a fever, can you take this and uh, also be, you know, let out of the hospital quickly? And my sense is no, because this, this stuff is injected. This is not a tablet that you take like some of the other things that are out there. Um, so that's another point with the skeptical the skeptics make. The other point that they make is that there was no placebo group in the 125 batch uh there will be in the 400 batch in the clinical data we get towards the end of the month but that was their point don't get so excited curb your enthusiasm last night okay you know that's fine um and then they also said that there was a test on april 10th with only 53 people new england medical journal that had 68 percent clinical improvement which by the way is awesome but you know it's not 123 out of 125 or, or whatever it came in last night so they're saying uh, that. The other thing that the skeptics are throwing out is that the Chinese canceled their study. So why did they do that? Well, the reason they canceled their study is because they were already over the curve and they didn't have a ton of severe patients left. So that was the end of February or, or more recently that they canceled their study because they didn't have severe people left. Um, you know, what was the point on that? So I would just discard that. And then the last point that I'm... I actually um, am willing to entertain on the skeptic side is the fact that um, Gilead ramped up dosage uh, uh, ahead of 
this, whether or not it was going to be approved, you know, wisely to do so. But they've got one 1.5 million doses presently, which was enough for 140,000 patients. That's not a lot. That's the bad news. The good news is we're finding you don't need the full 10 or 11 doses. So maybe now what they currently have in place is enough for 280,000 people instead of 140. Uh, and they've also had more time to ramp up. So I don't know what their production capacity is. If you remember with the hydroxy, whether you believe it works or not, or think it's good or think it's bad because of the side effects uh, for, for certain groups of people, you know, India shut that down because they're using it as a prophylaxic. They've mandated it that all their healthcare workers that can take it do take it so that they don't get sick when they're treating other people because if they get sick, there's no one to treat the other people. So um, that was another reason that people were upset that everyone got excited about hydroxychloroquine because we didn't have enough supply because India shut down. Now they opened up a production facility, I believe in West Virginia or Virginia. I, I think it's West Virginia. So they needed weeks to ramp up. So provided that the data from New York is good enough on Monday, my sense is they will have gotten production going just in case in the background, whether the production facility in West Virginia can compete with what they were able to do in India and the places that have hoarded it for themselves is unknown, but we'll know more. The key is on all of this, we're making progress and, and that's all you can ask for. None of it's gonna be the perfect silver bullet, but it's improving the outcomes as we saw in the numbers today. Something is miraculously and dramatically lowering the amount of people getting on ventilators. And um, whatever it is, keep doing it. Hopefully soon enough, we'll find out whatever it is. Okay, so that's the story, the good and the bad on remdesivir. I am optimistic, but again, you know, uh, I own it. So I don't own it for the reason of coronavirus, but you know, it is what it is. Next, um, the phase three reopen. This was the second reason the market was strong today. By the way, the S&P is now up 32% off the bottom. And that was something that I've talked about for the last three weeks that, uh, you know, there was such a consensus of people getting the retest that my sense was to beware of the market not letting people in. And that's exactly what happened. Now we're getting up to uh, their Fibonacci people that would say 60, whatever it is, 61 point or 62 percent retracement. You're getting up to the 200 day moving average. I mean, we're, we're a little bit ahead of ourselves. We'll talk about earnings. Uh, but that's a completely different story. Whether we have to consolidate or trade in a range is completely different than flushing out to new lows, uh, which is you know not off the table by any stretch of the imagination, but it's just a lower probability. Uh, as we discussed in detail last week, you can review that at the website, click on uh, video cast in categories. Phase three reopen real quick. Um, the states have to have, and this is the other reason that the, that the, um, everyone's excited is because I said on Shauna's show, the Yahoo today, uh, do check that out. When I was talking about the stimulus over 8 trillion, it could be another 2 trillion with infrastructure and with more small business uh, filling in a $2 trillion hole. So $2 trillion pothole, meaning GDP contraction, economic contraction filled with $8 trillion of stimulus. And I 
broke that down, but I said, look, all the money in the world, you can throw it like crazy. If there's no demand, it's not going to help. It's going to help in the back half and the first half. So today was the first light or the green shoot that demand may in fact come back, which is extremely important for uh, to get the velocity of money going and to get the economy going and to make that stimulus mean something. So it's a phased rollout because like China, like Wuhan was kind of the concentrated area. If you look at the U.S. map, there are a lot of places in the middle of the country that really have like low or no cases. It's it's largely concentrated around inter international airports, if we're going to be honest about it. You know, New York, Chicago, Seattle, um, L.A., maybe parts of southern Florida, maybe parts of Texas. And there are all these places that we've shut their, down their economy that if we take prudent, slow, judicious steps, and it's not going to be like, hey, the baseball games start next week. It's going to be like, hey, you get to wear a mask when you go out. And by the way, you shouldn't go out unless you absolutely have to. If you work in a service industry that you have to interface with people, great. But if you can still work from home, like many people have adapted, you're going to do that for probably a number of months. If there's no urgent need to be in a physical office with other people, you won't. So it's not going to change for a lot of people. We'll continue to work from home. But there'll be more flexibility with masks and gloves and testing and tracing and isolation uh, and certainly keeping the vulnerable people uh, sheltered in place and keeping groups below 10, social distancing, reducing non-essential travel, wearing masks, etc. That's going to be part of the rollout. So uh, vulnerable, vulnerable population will stay sheltered in place. And let's just go through the key things, the gating criteria for a state to decide before reopening. The governors will decide at the state level. Uh, they need to see a downward trajectory of flu-like illnesses reported within a 14-day period and a downward trajectory of COVID cases reported in the 14-day period. And then downward trajectory of documented cases or downward trajectory in positive tests treat all patients without crisis care in the hospital and a robust testing program in place for at-risk healthcare workers, including emerging antibody testing. So that's like just what governors have to pass before they even think about slow reopening, etc. So then this just goes through um, all of this. So just Google opening up America again, plan or PDF, and it will come up. It goes through all the guidelines, what we have to do as individuals, wash our hands, don't touch our face. This, all the things that we're doing in shelter in place, we, we're gonna have to do for a while. Uh, you know, not gonna go to school or camps right away. That's phase two. Um, let's just see here, uh, mass travel. So we basically, and you'll see phase one, what, you know, vulnerable individuals stay home, when in public, you got to maximize your distance, less than 10 people, uh, minimize the travel if for the employers. you got to still encourage people to work from home, only re return to work in phases, close the common areas. Like if you have a kitchen where people congregate, that's got to be closed for a while, non-essential travel out, and special accommodations for the vulnerable population. Uh, they shouldn't be coming to work. Also, school and organized activities will be closed in phase one. Visits to senior centers closed. Large venues, um, 
have to, uh, dining theaters, sports venues, churches have to operate under strict physical distancing pro protocols. So it might be one sixth of the seats, give or take. Um, gyms can open if they adhere to strict so, uh, social distance, distancing and sanitation and bars are going to have to remain closed in phase one. Phase two, some of this opens up and it gets better and better and better. So it's going to go state by state and phase by phase. And that's why the market's excited because why it's going to bring, you know, it's the same thing with the OPEC cuts. You can cut, it was, it was historic and amazing, 9.7 million barrels a day, then down to eight, seven, then down to six. But this is a year and a half of cuts. That doesn't matter yet. It is going to matter the minute demand starts to come back and it's going to matter in a major way because simultaneously you got the rig count collapsing. Uh, you've got... Um, uh, consolidation in the industry and you've got massive long-term cuts not just every three months you got to wait for the groundhog to see if they see a shadow or if they do another cut this is you know year and a half trajectory of cuts and you're seeing good numbers in China already we'll talk about that okay main article of the week now that we covered the two catalysts the Gilead and the phased openings um, Let's go to the Morgan Whalen whiskey glasses stock market and sentiment results. I was not fortunate enough to have Morgan Whalen retweet my article, but I didn't tag him either like we had with Rodney Atkins last week. That was really cool. Uh, but nonetheless, basically each week I pair the lyrics of a popular song to the sentiment for the market. And what I said was when you look at the data that's come out on the U.S. economy in recent days, one might suggest you need more than beer goggles to see the green shoots in the economy. You need whiskey glasses. <laughs> so the salient lyrics from the song are, I'm going to need some whiskey glasses because I don't want to see the truth. And my suggestion is click here to play so you can actually hear the tonality. I am not much of a singer. All right. So the bad news, we all know what the bad news is that came out this week. Um, most districts uh, reported declines in manufacturing. Uh, in the beige book, hardest hit industries were leisure, hospitality, retail, employment cuts, again, retail, leisure, and hospitality, biggest areas affected, um, economic activity contracted sharply across all regions as a result of COVID-19. The home builder sentiment dropped. It was forecast to be 55 down from 72. It actually came in at 30 complete, um, uh, report this horribleness, as one would say, you know, really doesn't get much worse than that. Um, retail sales month on month were down 8.7 relative to uh, expectation of down eight. Previous was down a half a percent. New York Fed manufacturing down 78.2 percent. Uh, forecast was negative 35 percent. So look, you're going to need some whiskey glasses if you're going to see uh, see the light at the end of the tunnel with these type of numbers. That's the bad news. The good news is the market um, market is a discounting mechanism. So let's take a look at what the market might have to look forward to. And that is um, when I was on Mike Walter's show, <coughs> I talked about the China recovery. So what's happened? So today we got negative 6.8% GDP relative to expectations of negative six. So that was a number that was actually worse than expectations. Most of the numbers, the third-party data coming out of China in the last month or so has been much better than expected uh, or less bad than expected. So, for instance, exports on Tuesday, negative 6.6 versus negative uh, 13.9. Keep in mind, you know, these are in – they've already gone through the worst part of it, okay? So imports were negative 
uh, one tenth of one percent. Estimates were negative 9.8. That's a big beat, a big beat. Um, the other thing that's exciting, I like to look at third-party data with China to give me a clear picture is, you know, Disney's partially reopening Shanghai. They wouldn't take that risk. Apple reopened their stores. Handsets were up 241% month on month. So, so March over February up 241%. It's only down 23% year on year. That's really good news. That's a high-end item. There's an article I tweeted about Hermes opened up a store and they did like two and a half million dollars of sales the first day. You can look at my Twitter feed at Hedge Fund Tips. Um, that was amazing. The source of the article, I, you know, I've never heard of the publication, so you know, take it with a grain of salt. But it was still nice to see. Uh, Yum! China's opened up their restaurant. Starbucks is another one. I like getting this third-party data because I can count on it. Um, in the in the sense that they. Um, their comps during the trough, you know, what we just went through that apex period in February, uh, Starbucks had to shut down all their stores. Their, their China comps were down negative 90% year on year in February. As of the last week of March, they were up negative 42% and they expect within a quarter to two quarter to be back up to par. That is really, really constructive news. Uh, TomTom is a GPS company. They are saying that the rush hour traffic levels in the big cities in China are now back to 2019 pre-pandemic levels. That's really good third-party data. OAG is an aviation research company. Uh, their seats in the air, they call them, for domestic travel for flying uh, are up to 8 million seats, doubled from February at the trough was 4 million, obviously still down from the peak of 14.7 million seats. The employment level Bloomberg reported that uh, this is, again, third party from Bloomberg Economics, that China is at 90 to 95 percent back to work uh, to pre-pandemic levels, uh, noting pickups in the steel market, construction activity and crude. Chinese exporters recovered 70 percent of production ca capacity as of March 30th. The GDP, as we covered, came in less than expected, but, you know, 13 percent difference, 6.8 percent versus six, uh, negative 6.8 versus negative 6. Oil demand, this is interesting. Negative uh, 10 million barrels a day in February, I'm sorry, less than 10 million barrels a day in February. They got up to, they're expected to do 12 million barrels a day in April, so 20% bump. Their target, their pre-pandemic levels were 13.7, so they're you know more than halfway there already after a couple of months. Also, they're doing something that we should be doing in America that the administration tried to do is fill our strategic petroleum reserves. We were going to buy 77 million uh, barrels to fill our SPR while they were on sale. It would only cost us three billion bucks. Donald, uh, the, the administration would have flipped it within a year once the market rebalanced after demand came back. They would have made the taxpayers three to five billion dollars profit uh, on that purchase. Congress didn't give them the $3 billion. We should try to take it out of defense department because energy security is a matter of national defense. I don't know if they can do it or not or if they're going to stick it into this next bill. That's what everyone's saying. But while we're dithering about whether or not we should save several hundred thousand direct energy patch jobs and probably two million of ancillary jobs related to energy in the United States from steel to pipelines to uh, services to parts. I mean, it's it's a monster part of our economy. Uh, the Chinese are saying, we'll take as much as you can get. Their government has ordered them to increase their petroleum stockpiles from 900 million barrels to 1.15 
billion at low prices. So by the time we get the money from Congress, the price is gonna be a lot higher. Why is the price gonna be higher? Because the Chinese took advantage, because they move quickly. They're gonna add 200 million, 215 million barrels at you know 20, 25 bucks. By the time we get the money, we'll be probably adding 77 million barrels at 30 to 35 to 40 bucks. Uh, still a good price, but you know, you snooze, you lose. And that's, uh, that's what Congress did on that one. And it, it is what it is. Uh, the other positive thing coming out of China, and I'm not trying to tout China, I'm trying to paint a picture of what we have to look forward to. We're two months and uh, 10 days behind them as far as our peak of new cases in the United States, according to the administration. They believe the peak was this way. Their capacity utilization went up in, uh, to 70% on refining from 67 in February, but their throughput of 13 million barrels a day uh, expected in April from 12 million in March, their peak was 13.4. So they're getting pretty close to their throughput of pre-pandemic levels. Their coal is already at pre-pandemic levels. Their uh, power plants are burning as much coal as they did a year ago. And the LNG demand is strong. They're the most active buy buyers in the market. And I'm sure they're going to be, if not already, the most active buyers in the uh, uh, energy market to get those 210 million barrels that uh, we're missing out on. Purchasing Managers Index came in much better than expected. Uh, they showed expansion. This is a government number uh, for March is at 52. So, um, you know, it, all I can do is tell you what's reported. But look, they reported negative 6.8%. The skepticism I have about everyone saying, well, their numbers, you can't count on their numbers. Okay, well, so they, they do lie when the numbers are good, but they don't lie when the numbers are bad. So in February, when it was 35.7, they weren't lying. But in March, when it was 52, because it's a good number, they are lying. When their GDP comes in worse than expected of negative 6.8, they're not lying. But if it came in at five, they would be lying. So, I mean, I'm not saying that, you know, you count on them till the cows come home, but I'm just saying like, ballpark you can get a sense of direction and um uh, there it is so february 5th was their case this is new york as of uh when did i write this thursday i wrote this article so you see everything's just coming down and you, if you look at that date we already discussed you know some theses around this let's see how the numbers come in next um okay so this was the uh, announcement of opening suggesting that we're at the peak. You can read that on your own. The discounting mechanism. So why is the market up 32% off the bottom? Uh, well, the, just as the market discounted today's horrible news, which we went through, all of the ne negative economic news, by falling 35% in February and March, it's going to discount the recovery many months before it happens. It's already starting to do that. My sense is we'll probably trade in a range and chop around, but you know, the panic low... Uh, on March 23rd, that appears to be holding at, at the moment. Um, and uh, it, it's probably likely that while the economic news will get worse, some of the lights at the end of the tunnel, like these drugs will start to show, the numbers will continue to get better on the health side and people will start to discount 2021 and 2022 earnings versus looking at the short term. Like Ben Bernanke said, uh, former Fed chair, he put it best, you know, for everyone that was calling for a depression, they were they had it wrong. What it, what in effect it is, is it's like a natural disaster. It's short, it's abrupt, maybe like Fukushima in a sense, like what Japan dealt with in the short term a few years back something to keep in uh in mind um 
in how you think of it. It will be deep, it will be bad, but it will be short. It's not it's not a years of build up credit situation like you had in the Great Depression or you had in 2008. It's a different type of situation. Now, the other aspect is um, just the math of it, and we've covered that a few times. Analysts are calling for a 15 to 30% contraction. Look, the hit's going to be, I think I said on Shauna's show today, one to two and a half trillion of GDP contraction. Uh, but you've got eight plus trillion of stimulus, liquidity, and balance sheet expansion that once demand comes back are really going to go a long way. And in effect, and if this trend of us, you know, the apex was supposed to be early May, it came in early April. So if we keep getting results that are earlier and better than expected, that stimulus is going to hit and it, you know, you could have growth sooner, sooner than is expected towards the back half of the year and the first half of next year as well. Um, the other point I made here, and that's an interesting way, you know, pr prior to last week, for the four weeks prior to that, you can look back at all the podcasts I did um, under categories. Here it is. Categories, sentiment, or commentary. You can find all the weekly articles I did when we were buying through the worst of it. We bought some a little early. We bought some at the bottom. We bought some on the way up. We shifted gears two weeks ago because most of the bargains were had in equities. We started shifting to high-yield credit. And we'll talk about that really quickly, why, why we're doing that. Um, but the thesis with the only way to win with equities through that period, and if we get another downturn, if it, we'll start adding equities again, uh, you have to take a one to three year outlook. And your hedge against, quote, being wrong is time. The example I gave was if you bought in October of 2008 after Lehman crashed and you thought you were buying the bottom uh, and you, you, know, you, you went in aggressively over the next eight weeks, you looked silly in the short term because by March of 2009, just a few months later, the market was down another 10 to 20% depending where you bought in October and November. So you looked silly in the short term, but by June of 2009, less than a year later, you were a genius as the market rallied 43% off the bottom. So that's your hedge as time. If you're a trader trying to pick in and out of you know daily um, timeframes, that can be very, very tough. And, I, and I'm sure a lot of people are getting, you know, um, uh, it, it's tough to compete. But if you buy the highest quality that are dramatically on sale and we've went through the lists over those weeks, you know, you had companies like Wells Fargo down 52 percent, uh, Pfizer 30 percent. Coke was down 40 percent. You think for, people are going to drink 40 percent less Coca-Cola two years from now? Um, you know, Pfizer, you think people are going to take 30 percent less of their medication, Cisco, uh, etc. So those were the bargains that were on sale. Maybe we'll get another bite at the apple, but in the meantime, we're focused on um, high yield. Now, let's skip to the Bank of America Global Fund Manager Survey. In my view, is the most important data point each month. And the key takeaway was that managers have not had this much cash since March of 2009, which was the bottom of the S&P 500 at 666. That was the last time they had this much cash and treasuries, they're overweight. Historically, it's paid to take the other side of the trade. 
when the boats gets too crowded. That's what certainly happened uh, in the last few weeks. Now we've bounced 32%. You know, I'm less of an eager beaver on the equity side than, than I was uh, over that period. Um, but what's interesting to me is managers are currently most underweight energy, materials, industrials, and banks. And I said on Shauna's show today, the last time managers were this underweight banks was July of 2016. Banks doubled over the next 18 months. Doesn't mean we're going to double over the next 18 months. It just means that you're generally paid. So why would cyclicals work? Cyclicals, the reason they had such a huge day today is because demand could be coming back if we're slowly, judiciously, and regionally reopening the country, like you saw in China. That's why I went through where they are two months later to give you an idea of where we can be potentially two months later if we do it right. Uh, slowly, carefully, judiciously, masks, gloves. It's going to be weird, but we're going to do it. And, um, uh, you know, this is how the market can broaden out. Okay, so she was talking about how it's concentrated into a few tech stocks. The way the market broadens out is once demand comes back. And, and when it does, you've historically been been rewarded for taking the other side of the most crowded trades, and in this case, start to look at some cyclicals. So um, there's still opportunity in that space. Next, uh, short-term view. Uh, these were kind of mixed. You know, fear is coming down to 42% from the AAI um, sentiment survey result this week. Um, bullishness came down a little bit, but it's still in the, kind of a mid-range. Again, the only thing is the bulls never really got washed out in the crash, so I'm just keeping a close eye. Now, this is a survey of a few hundred people, so it's possible there was an anomaly here uh, that you didn't get down into the 20s, but, you know, it's still, still something I'm keeping an eye on. Uh, here's the, the chart here. Like, if you look at December of 2018, the Christmas Eve massacre, the bulls got washed out. It got down to the low 20s. It didn't happen in this instance. We got down to 29, which is, you know, low, but it's not an extreme. The CNN fear and greed did get flushed. It was at zero for a while. So that's kind of more accurate uh, based on the compilation of indicators that they use. So that makes me feel a little bit better. Slowly thawing. It'll move in fits and starts. We're kind of midway there. We're probably up around here as of today. I would imagine we got close to 50. I didn't look at it tonight. And the National Association of Active Investment Managers. This is nice to see. They're still well underweight. Um, the market's up 32%, and they're only at 25% exposure, 26% exposure. That was also reflected in the Bank of America Global Fund Manager Survey, which we're going to just talk a little bit more about in a second. Um, so they're going to have to play catch up, even if we chop around and consolidate and, and uh, stay in a range here, uh, whether that's at... Um, whatever that FIB number is, or at the 200 moving average, whatever it happens to be, we'll probably chop at some point, and uh, they're going to have to catch up. You see, every time they have to chase, they have to chase, they have to chase. Look how underweight they got. They, they, they're going to have to chase. So uh, the message for this week was the same as last week. Last week was our first change in about four weeks when we were aggressive buyers of equities. We shifted gears the week before last note into the distressed high yield credit market to discrete securities that have fallen explicitly because of COVID um, that have fallen as much as 40 to 60 percent 
in the last six weeks. What this enables us to do, because we were buying equities that were the highest class names, when you move up in the capital structure, you can actually go into slightly lower quality names because you're higher up in the capital structure, which means if they have troubles, you're gonna get paid before the equity does. And that's really what we've done because they have not recovered, many of them have not recovered to the same extent as, although that's that's happened in the last week, it wasn't happening two weeks ago when we started and there's still some opportunity. Um, the Fed stepped in in a major way in the high yield market as well, buying the ETF. We would not suggest buying the junk or the high yield ETF. That's a bad move. You have to look on a security by security basis and uh, look at the balance sheet, look at the financials, see why it's down, see what are the chances of recovery, see whether they fall within the parameters of the Federal Reserve's new backstop that was announced last week. They're buying uh, uh, offerings in the primary and secondary market and providing massive liquidity in the space. So there's still opportunity and uh, we know that more and more of that money is gonna make it into this distressed corner of the market and we're gonna be um, benefiting from that. And we've seen it already. Some of these, you know, bonds, uh, Tupperware, for example, is up 50% in the last uh, two weeks. Uh, and a number of other companies are really starting to move up. So let's just quickly see if there's a couple other things we just want to cover from the Global Fund Manager Survey. Um, again, you see them, the movement was into, this is 200 managers that control half a trillion dollar under management, about 500 billion plus. And they're all crowding into cash, healthcare, stables, utilities, all defensives, uh, followed by tech and and um, bonds. And their most underweight is the cyclicals, energy, materials, industrials, banks, etc. So as people go back to work, demand picks up, this is gonna to start to reverse. People are gonna get out of defensives, they're gonna go into cyclicals, and uh, if you're positioned, you can win big on that. Um, now all of a sudden, managers are focused they, on wanting companies to improve their balance sheet. The last time this many wanted to improve, the companies to improve their balance sheet was March of 2009, right here, early 2009, which was the bottom of the market. Everyone gets scared about the equity when um, you have that type of sudden crash. Uh, now, all of a sudden, um, managers don't care about companies returning cash to shareholders with buybacks or dividends. They just want them to fix the balance sheet because they're scared the equity is going to go to zero in some cases. That will that too will change as people get back to work. Uh, the Bank of America's sentiment index remained pinned at zero. That's as big of a contrarian indicator as they've ever had. Uh, Michael Hartnett, the strategist, said that this was peak pessimism. And... Also, their cash rule, when cash balances rise above 4.5, a contrarian buy signal is generated. Well, it got all the way up to um, March 2009 levels, which I believe was 5.9, Okay, wow, 5.9%. So you can see that just reeking with pessimism, this, this survey, 52% see a U-shaped recovery, 22% see a W, 15% see a V-shaped recovery, so, uh, and 86% expected a recession, which was the highest number since March 2009. So, you know, we're at peak pessimism. That's coincident with previous 
crisis lows. Uh, so it's just something to keep a good eye on. Now we're up 32%. So this is kind of rear view mirror. But if we do get further weakness and opportunity, you may want to take some of these points in, into account. Uh, biggest tail risk, second wave of coronavirus. Yeah, that's, that's for sure. Um, credit events and more problems with energy. I think enough of that's going to get soaked up with the cuts and demand as people get back to work, but that's going to take a little while. And also if you get 300 million barrels into the SPR of China and the U S combined, uh, that's, that's going to go a long way as well to soak up some of the supply in the short term as demand comes back. And the biggest upside catalyst, these are two interesting. Obviously, one would be a vaccine. They said uh, V equals uh, V-shaped recovery equals when we get a vaccine and China credit growth increasing. That's a, a very key point. So keep, we'll keep an eye on China credit growth based on what we covered today of the factors of their recovery so far. I think we can start to expect some Chinese credit growth. And as we see that, that, that could really help um, turbocharge a recovery. So that's the article of the week. Now we're going to skip over to some sectoral earnings that we were able to do. We, do, we try to do two sectors a week uh, just to keep an eye on it. Uh, now that things are getting close to stabilizing we can look more at earnings as we get this earnings season underway and get a little more color it really was useless to look at earnings for the last four weeks because there was no way to quantify it and there probably won't be for another four to six weeks but you know we'll start to pay attention to it a little bit more uh last 60 days exploration and production earnings expectations uh, estimates are down 90.96 it's it's uh price day it's reflected in the stocks that's for sure uh that is uh you know, peak pessimism. So you'll see some BKs. I mean, we'd always talked to, even when we were our most bullish on energy, we had expected 10 to 15% to go bankrupt. We haven't seen it yet, but we're going to see it in coming weeks, which is why you need a, a wide basket and a long-term time horizon, again, with time being your hedge. But but uh, there will be selective opportunity. There already is. I mean, you're seeing the, the high-quality names start to go up, and then some of the higher-quality, lower-quality names will will start to follow in probably the next six to nine months. Biotech earnings last 60 days they only came down by they came down by 9.28%. So again, you know everyone's starting to take earnings down. Fact set this week they took uh, 2020 down to uh, looks like about 143, but 2021 is down now to 173 with a closing price of 28.74 on the S&P today. You're looking at 16.6 times 21. The five-year average is 16.7 times uh, 12 month forward. So, um, you know, we'll see. It, it, it's really hard because at the same time, they took earnings down too slowly with coronavirus because there wasn't visibility. I think they're going to take them down probably too much and then they're going to be too slow to raise them, as was the case in 08 and 09 as well. So, you know, you're really hitting a moving target from a Ferrari. I mean, it's like, you know, it, 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 it's good to keep an eye on earnings, but it's not going to tell you a whole lot for the next six to eight weeks. Um, but we'll, we'll keep on top of it and see if we see any changes of trend. That's that for earnings. And 
that's it for this week's podcast video cast. Okay, we covered everything in a little bit better time than last week. So um, let's go ahead and wrap it up. We'll see you next week, same time, same place. Let's keep all going with the guidelines. They're working. If you go out, uh, you know, do your masks and gloves, keep your social distancing, stay safe, stay grateful, uh, and, uh, and make it a great week. So have a great week, everyone, and thanks for tuning in.